Come on, somebody lift your hands and praise him tonight for everything he's done. For everything he's done. For everything he's done. Woo! Put your hands together one more time and love him tonight. High five about 20 people on the way to your seat. Tell them it's Sunday Night Live tonight. Just rest on your feet with me when you get to your place. Hallelujah. Just rest on your feet tonight. How many of you are excited to be in the house of the Lord in this place? Come on, how many of you are excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord. I'm so excited about what God is doing in this season. And uh, this morning we baptized Kim in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins. Come on, let's give God a praise for that tonight. And then earlier this week we baptized Naomi Gomez in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins. And this young lady is on fire for God. Amen. You're thankful for what the Lord is doing? Now, I, I just, I, I, was, I was in my office at the house today, and I was seeking after the Lord, and, and it's Sunday Night Live, so I've got my mittens on, and I'm saying, all right, God, drop the fire in my hands. I'm ready. And I felt like God gave me some fire, but I felt he gave it to me in a Bible study. <laughs> How many of y'all, is it all right if we just have Sunday night Bible study tonight? Y'all know how Bible study is here anyway. I mean, we just, we're going to teach a little, preach a little, treat a little, tell it, yell it, compel it. Yeah. So go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 6. And while you're turning there, let me say a great big welcome to all of our guests that are with us here tonight. Would you help me put your hands together one more time, Rock Church? Come on, I need everybody to help me give a great big applause tonight. For all of our guests that are here, we're so honored that you're in the house of the Lord with us tonight. The book of Proverbs, chapter number 6. I want to read just one verse of scripture before you're seated. Verse number 16. It simply says, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And for a few minutes tonight, I want to teach, preach, however it comes out about seven things that the Lord hates. Seven things. Tell your neighbor there's seven things the Lord hates. T tell your other neighbor, the one that's paying attention to you, tell him there's seven things that the Lord hates. Put your Bibles down and clap your hands under the Lord one more time tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. If you've got a notebook, a pen, grab it. Take some notes tonight. This is just going to be a little bit of a Bible study. 
But I feel like the Holy Ghost wants to talk to us tonight. Amen. And so when you begin to study the scripture, there's perhaps uh, no book, in my opinion, that contains the density of wisdom like the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is divided into 31 chapters, and I recommend as a believer that you take at least one month of the year and pick a month that has 31 days, and you can get through one chapter a day and get through the entire book of Proverbs in one month and be able to do a concise study of the Scripture. And it is so dense with information and revelation that you could study it many times and every time you unfold it, it, it just keeps getting larger and larger and deeper and wider and, and there are uh, multiple manifestations of God's revelation in the scripture. One of the reasons that we study the word of the Lord is as a believer, as an apostolic we should have the desire to be like God. Now when I say that, I don't mean as God, the way that Satan presented it to Adam and Eve, but I mean godly in our character. How many of you want a godly character? We, we study the word of the Lord because it is inseparable from who God is. You cannot espouse to know him and not know his word. You cannot espouse to love God and not love his word. You cannot espouse to obey God and disobey his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so if we want to have a godly character. What is our character? Our character is our constituency. It is our constitution. It is what defines who we really are. And if we want to have a character that is a godly character, then we must study the scripture to understand how God defines a godly character character. What is it that God loves? What is it that God hates? What is it that, that, that God embraces? And what is it that God detests? Because I want to be like Jesus. I thought I'd get more than six amens in the building. I said, I want to be like Jesus. So, Lord, let your word be true and let every man be a liar. Lord, let your word be true in my life and let me lay down fallacy. Let your word have preeminence in my spirit and let me repent of my wrongdoing. Let your word take first position in my mind and my heart and let me lay down and surrender and submit my will to you so that I can be become everything that you want me to become. And in our pursuit of a godly character, there are some attributes of God that are communicable attributes of God. They are attributes that, uh, that can be shared from God to us. 
uh, kind of like a communicable disease versus non-communicable. A communicable disease is one that you can catch from somebody else while a communicable disease is, doesn't spread from person to person. For example, cancer to you is not known as a communicable disease. You can have cancer and I can be next to you and we can shake hands and we can do whatever and that cancer will not transfer from you to me. And there are some attributes of God that are non-communicable attributes of God. He alone possesses them and they cannot be shared with humanity. Is this all right tonight? For example, his omnipresence is a non-communicable attribute. God is everywhere at once uh, equally. That is not something that can be shared amongst us, no matter how hard we try or expand our territories. Uh, uh, we cannot be everywhere uh, at once equally. His, his omnipresence uh, is a non-communicable attribute. He, 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 is, he is omniscient, his all-knowingness, uh, his omni omnipotence is all-powerful, his omniscience uh, is all-knowing. Those are non-communicable characteristics of God. No matter how smart I can get, uh, my wisdom is as foolishness uh, to God, uh, no matter how uh, how much I know, uh, I realize the less I really do know. Come on, somebody. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is all-powerful. Yet there are some attributes of God that are communicable attributes. They are attributes that we share. For example, one of the communicable attributes of God is his love. It is the very essence of who God is. First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth uh, is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not uh, knoweth not God, for God is love. His love is communicable because God commands us uh, to love uh, each other. And I don't have time tonight to get into the different kinds of love we find in the Bible, phylos and eros and, 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 and agape and the different kinds of love that we can demonstrate. We can never fulfill agape love in its perfect form. That is only a love that God can fulfill. But love is a communicable attribute of God. He commands us to love things and and we want if we're going to be like God wants us to be we've got to love what God loves amen we've got to learn how to love what God loves we have to set our affections uh, on things above and not on things uh, below we have to turn our heart and our mind uh, and place correct value on things uh, that God deems worthy of his love it is a communicable attribute of God Another example of a communicable attribute of God is his anger. We got quiet in here. I just saw some women look at their husband on the, with the side eye. Anger is an attribute of God that is communicable uh, to humanity. Uh, we become angry because that is uh, an emotion of God. How many of you understand that the word of the Lord is replete with examples of God becoming uh, angry? 
And so anger in and of itself is not a sin. It is an attribute of God. The scripture commands us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26 to be angry and to sin not. There there are guidelines to how our anger works if it is going to be like God's anger. In one place, uh, uh, the scripture tells us, as a matter of fact, if you keep reading uh, past verse 26 or in the same verse, uh, the Bible commands us not to let the sun go down on our wrath. Why does the Bible command us not to let the sun go down on our wrath? Because our anger shouldn't last long. Oh, Lord, I'm going to do a little marriage counseling right here. I'm about to preach against grudges. (laughs) Why shouldn't our anger last long? Why does the Bible say not to let the sun go down on our wrath? Because Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 5 says that his anger endureth uh, but for a moment. Because the anger of the Lord doesn't last forever. Uh, So our anger uh, should have a short lifespan. Micah 7 and 18 says, uh, He retaineth not uh, his anger uh, forever. And so this communicable attribute of God's anger in our life should be tempered. It should be restricted. It should be harnessed. In one place, Lamentation chapter 3 verse 22 and verse 23 says that his mercies are made new every morning. So my anger shouldn't be able to last through the next day. Some of y'all are going to pass by the drive-thru and share a Coke tonight after this message. His mercy is new every morning. And so, ere the scripture commands us not to let the sun go down upon our wrath. And so, if we understand that he has communicable attributes such as love and anger, then it should be no surprise to us that God also hates some things. Not all hate is bad hate. I came to tell you tonight that God is a hater. Oh, I know, I know, I know it's hard to say that, but but God is a hater. There are some things that are... And so it behooves us if we're going to be like God and have godly character that we not only learn how to love what God loves, but we must also learn how to hate what God hates. I want to share the same feelings as the God hate what God hates, what he loves. And I I want to learn how to hate what God hates. Somebody said amen. So it is with this understanding that we begin to study Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, where the Bible says uh, that there are six things, yea, seven, that are an abomination unto the Lord. Now it's an important delineation to understand that we are not just talking about dislike or hate in its most shallow sense Because the scripture adds the word uh, that it is an abomination unto him. You have to understand the strength of the word abomination. 
An abomination is something that God utterly detests. And one, one uh, transcription of its definition says uh, that it is something that makes him sick uh, to his stomach. As in when God said, I were that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. For something to be an abomination means that it disgusts God to the point of wanting to throw up. It is the greatest level of God's detestability of something. And so it snaps to our attention that whatever these seven things are uh, that God hates, uh, it would be wise for us to understand what they are because whatever they are, I do not want them uh, to be a part of the description uh, of my character. I don't want them to be a part of my life. I don't want them uh, to be a part. Can I get a witness in the building? Uh, I don't want them to be listed as part of my uh, attributes of my behavior. If God hates them, then I don't want them in my life. And if they are in my life, I want to repent and get them out of my heart, out of my mind, out of my thoughts. I don't want anything in my life that would cause God to be repulsed by who I am. And so verse number 16 opens up and says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, and if you study the context of these verses, you will find that there really is no major significance given to the order in which they are listed. Uh, there is no preeminence of one over the other. And as you begin to study them, you'll understand why. But the first thing listed as something that God hates is he hates a proud look. Now, we may not understand whether there is significance to it being the first thing listed. However, could it be that a proud look is at the top of the list because a pride is at the bottom of all disobedience and rebellion against God's laws. When you get down to the root of all disobedience, when you get down to the root of all of rebellion, it is the root of of pride and God said I hate a proud look pride is the antithesis it is the the opposite of what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2 declares to be the basis of all virtues and that is humility Humility is at the base uh, of all virtue, uh, while pride uh, is at the root of all unrighteousness. God said, I hate uh, a proud look. Pride, pride has arrows pointed at self. Pride is all about me. Pride focuses its attention on self. Self-recognition, 
self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, self-exaltation. But humility is lowering oneself. Paul said, I must decrease that he, or was it John the Baptist, that said, I must decrease that Christ may increase. If you want God to increase your life, he will not share the same space as self. Do you want the glory or do you want God to get the glory? Ah, come on. Pride wants the glory while selflessness and humility says to God, be all of the glory. I don't want to get stuck here, but let me take you back to the book of Genesis when you read about the creation of Satan, the angel, Lucifer. He was created with stones, precious stones uh, that, that were embedded throughout his body. Uh, and his purpose was to reflect uh, the glory of God. Um, when God's light shone, it was his uh, responsibility to uh, reflect that light outwardly. Uh, and where he got tripped up with pride uh, is he began to want the light to shine uh, on himself. Uh, it, it became less about God getting the glory uh, and it became about him. Uh, and in one place he said, I will uh, exalt myself uh, above the stars uh, of God and I will be uh, like the most I read it when you get home. Uh, I will, I will, I will. Pride says I will, uh, but Humility says, uh, to God be uh, the glory. God said, pride, pride is an abomination unto me. Number two, and I don't have time to, to exegete every single one of these tonight. Number two is a lying tongue. A lying tongue. Why is a lying, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. If this were an actual emergency. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't hear what was happening. Why is lying an abomination unto God? It is hateful to God because he is the God of truth. He is the God of truth. And the opposite of truth uh, is uh, a lie. It's deception. Uh, as a matter of fact, John 8 and 44 uh, declares that Satan uh, is the father uh, of lies and that there is no truth uh, in him. Uh, and so God said uh, that one of the things that I hate uh, is a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. I don't have time to get into this tonight. One of the greatest sins of this nation and certainly our world is the sin of abortion. 
Now, this is not the only uh, definition of shedding innocent blood, but it's one that I'll mention because there are more uh, babies murdered through abortion uh, that eclipse every war, uh, every conflict worldwide, all put together uh, many times. There is no greater definition uh, of the shedding of innocent blood uh, in our world. It's getting quiet in here uh, than that of uh, the abortion clinics. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, uh, that we may not have seen already uh, the wrath of God uh, but you read about Cain and Abel uh, when Cain slew his brother uh, and God said the voice uh, of your brother's blood uh, crieth unto me uh, from the ground uh, if the voice of one man's blood uh, could get the attention of God uh, I wonder what the cacophony uh, of the voices uh, of the billions of babies uh, that have been murdered are crying out uh, to their maker over and over again. God said, I hate the shedding of innocent blood. I'm going somewhere tonight. I want you to think about the atrocity of these things. Number four, he said, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Tell your neighbor wicked imaginations. There are evil thoughts to be contended with in all men's hearts. But the devising of them and the fabrication of them turns the heart into the devil's workshop. God said one of the things that I hate is a heart that deviseth wicked Imaginations, and I better not get started there because we'll be here all night. Number five, feet that be swift in running to mischief. To run to mischief is to carry out with alacrity and with, uh, with, with uh, a, a sense of urgency that that which has already been devised in the heart. It implies more than just sliding in to sin or, or that which is common to all of us, but it denotes a certain sense of missional haste or eagerness to get to the dirty deed. God said, it's an abomination unto me, feet that be swift, in running to mischief. And then number six, he says, a false witness that speaketh lies. Now listen to this because this is not just lies in general as mentioned already in verse 17. But it is lying as a false witness. This creates a transgression of judicial perjury in the context of the moral code spelled out in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 16. The ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 
This is not just a lie in general, uh, but this is us uh, sworn in as a witness of truth uh, and perjuring ourselves uh, under our commitment to the law and the commandment of God. Perjury may be employed not only in ruining the innocent, but also in screening the guilty. Being a false witness corrupts righteous judgment, and our God is a righteous judge. When we bear false testimony, when we bear false witness, it sets up unjust uh, measures. It sets up uh, uh, unrighteous judgments. God said, I hate, I hate a false witness that speaketh lies. And finally, number seven, which is where I want to direct the majority of my time tonight. Number seven, he said, he that soweth discord among brethren. Amongst all of these things that God hates, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies listed among those atrocities of things that God said are an abomination unto him. He said, is he that soweth discord among brethren. It's quiet in here. Now let me look at some of the etymology of this statement because it begs an interesting perspective. The word discord and the word so discord come from two different genres of vernacular. The word discord would lend itself to the genre of musicality. When you talk about courting and discording, come here, Brother Kendrick, jump on the keyboard as quick as you can. Here's another emergency broadcast signal. Whoever's got the emergency, let them know you're all right. <laughs> I want you to listen to me tonight. Brother Kendrick, play middle C. That's a single note. That is considered middle C on an 88-key piano or keyboard. What you are hearing is the C note revolving at 440 revolutions per second, standard American tuning. And the ear has the ability to pick up details concerning music. Even if you are not trained, sometimes you can, you can tell something's right or wrong. That doesn't sound right. Play it again, middle C by itself. That is the action of one note all by itself. You cannot make a chord with one note. I love the way the scripture says that 
A man who is by himself has nobody to cover him when he is cold at night. And then it says, a threefold two is better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. It speaks of togetherness. Can't make a cord with just one. And so in the vernacular of music, in order to form a chord, you have to have more than one note. And really, to form a basic rudimentary chord, you have to have at least three notes. C, if we're going to play C in its root position at the middle of the keyboard, you would play C as your bottom note. Then you would add the note E as your second note. Play E. Now play C. Two different notes. Play E. And now play a G. That is also known as a major triad. And if you put those three notes together and play them at the same time, you have C major in a root position. You hear that? C by itself. Now C chord. That is a chord. What you are hearing is harmony. The E note is harmonizing with the C note. And the G note is harmonizing with the E and the C note to form a chord. And harmony is beautiful. Now C cannot do what E does. Play C, play E. They're two different notes. E cannot be C. So instead of trying to be C, you see there's, y'all getting ahead of me. <laughs> I'm going there. There's something to be said when everybody tries to do the same thing. It's, it's got a power all of its own. We, we call that unity. Psalm 133, I think it is, verse number one says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Get I want you to play C, but I want you to play two octaves with your right hand and two octaves with your left hand. He's going to play four notes, all of them being a C note in different octaves. So play, play C in four octaves. Now give them all separate, arpeggiate those four notes. You hear that? That's unity. That's everything in C. And there's something to be said about unity. But how much more beautiful is a C chord? There's something to be said about harmony. C cannot be E, and E cannot be C, and G cannot be C or E. But when we learn how to work together, when we learn how to come together, we can form a beautiful uh, chord. <laughs> I might dance like this. I'm a C. You might be an E. And somebody else might be a G. You don't have to be a C for us to get along uh, as long as we all know uh, how to harmonize with each other. If I take my C uh, and you bring your E uh, and she brings uh, her G, uh, we cannot have to be exactly the same, uh, but we harmonize uh, together uh, and we make beautiful uh, music.
That's why it's imperative you get a revelation. Not everybody has to be like you. <laughs> if you try to get E to be like C, E's going to get frustrated after a while. God doesn't need you to be a copycat of anybody else. God needs you to harmonize with everybody else. Together we make beautiful music. Together we make a chord. But musically, to discord means to put a note in there that doesn't belong. So I want you to play a C chord for me. Y'all hear that? Now while you're playing the C chord, I want you to add C sharp to that configuration. Play it. No, not the C sharp chord. Play a C sharp major chord and add the C sharp note to it. My ear isn't even lying to me. Now add C sharp with it. Uh-huh, play it again. Y'all hear that? Now add like an, an A to it. Now add like an E flat to it. What happened to the beautiful C chord? Play that again. The one I just told you to play. Nah, it's too pretty. That wasn't what I told you to play. Add C sharp, add E flat, and add A to a C major. There it is. Remember that chord. Got it? Now play C major. Now play it the other way. Now chord. Now discord. Can you hear the dissonance in sound? That is the lack of harmony. And to discord means that I break structure. I become rogue and I don't want to participate in the structure because there's a law to music. It's called music theory. And it's designed to make music. And if you break music theory, you're no longer making music, you're making noise. And when somebody makes up in their mind uh, that they're going to break the theory or the law of God in unity, uh, they start to discord. Uh, and what should be making a beautiful sound uh, instead uh, is discording. Uh, and it's not creating uh, the beautiful music. And it only takes one note to be off to discord. And God said... I hate those who sow discord. Y'all with me? You remember the innocent blood? God said right along with that, I hate when people mess up the harmony of the rest of God's people. And the thing is, it's not just the vernacular of music. There's another genre, another word used here before that. It is the word sow, which comes from the genre of agriculture. Sowing is not a musical term. It is an agricultural term that means to put a seed into the ground. And the insidious thing about people that sow discord 
is that when you sow something, it, it isn't delivered in its full-grown state. And so, come here, Brother Matthew. Just stand right here, facing that way. When I sow discord, people can sow discord and look very inconspicuous about it. Because they just walk by. Get out there where they can see you a little bit better. Stand right there. That's good. Stop. They, they can just walk by and very inconspicuously, they just drop a seed. And if you're not careful, you don't even realize that they just sowed a seed into your ground. And if it goes undetected, that seed will begin to take root. And it will grow up a root of bitterness against, come on somebody. Here's what the seed looks like. People are harmonizing. And I'm going to sow discord between somebody. See, that's what the discord is. It's a note put in between two other notes. Play the C and the E. I wish you could see this if I had a, a big camera on the screen. C and E are just two steps, two whole steps from each other. But in between those two notes is a C sharp. So play the two. All I got to do is drop one thing in between the harmony. And I can disrupt the music. And so here's what a discord looks like. Brother so-and-so, you know, he's your buddy, he's your pal. Everything's cool. That's your brother in Christ. And you're excited. Brother so-and-so, come here. Stop right there. Let me get a picture. Anyway. Great man of God. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I didn't have to come out and tell you he's not a man of God. He's not anointed. All I had to do was drop us. All I had to do was sow a seed of discord. Now in the mind of this man, I've put a question, a seed of question in his mind. And now every time he's around so-and-so, his view of that person has become semi-clouded by the seed that was dropped. God said, I hate those that sow discord among the brethren. Thank you. Music, y'all better come and resurrect some folks. Listen, church, for what God's called us to do in this last time and in this season, we need to protect our cord. We need to protect our harmony. What is our harmony? It's our relationships with each other. You've got to be determined that nothing's going to come in between me and you. Where's the rest of y'all at tonight? You have to be determined that nothing is going to come in between our harmony. And spiritually mature people learn how to recognize when there's something going on between a brother and a sister. We don't water that seed. 
We don't let our anger endure. We pluck that seed out of the ground and we get it out of the way. I get on my knees and I make sure and get all the pride out of my spirit. I get on my knees and make sure I've got sin out of my heart. Come on, somebody. And then I go to my brother and I clear up anything between me and him. I go to my sister and I clear up anything. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I'm telling you right now, I don't care uh, if your skirt is down to your ankles uh, and you've got the most holy hairdo uh, and your split sewed up so tight uh, that you can't walk. Uh, you'll split hell wide uh, open uh, if you're involved in discord uh, because God hates uh, sowing uh, of this. Come on, somebody. I don't care if you pray in tongues until your tongue can't move anymore. If you're sowing discord, you're out of order. And you're like a tinkling brass and cymbal. I don't care if you can quote more scriptures than the audio Bible. Your character's messed up with your brother and sister. You ain't going to make it to heaven. Come on, I don't know about you, but I want to. I want God to like me. I want God. I don't want God to hate things that are inside of me. Uh, I, I want to learn to get a revelation uh, of who my brother and my sister is. And I'm just going to tell you this tonight. God is so serious about it. That God said, mark them that cause division among you. Am I in the word? In other words, take notice of people who are sowing discord. Be mindful. What do you do? Kick them in the teeth? Cuss them out? Tell them, no, 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 no. You pray for them. That God would deliver them. But you watch. And you take careful around yourself. You, 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 you careful. You, why do you mark them that cause division? Because they're the ones carrying seed. And when they come around me, what am I watching? I'm making sure I don't let them deposit seed into my ground. What is the seed? It's the words. You have to reject the seed. Some of us need to get a backbone in us and learn that you don't just receive every word that comes to you from people. I don't care if somebody comes to you in the name of Jesus with a dividing word about a brother or sister. That ain't the same Jesus I serve. You got to get a backbone and say, hey, 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 hold on a second, sister. Hey, 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 hold on a second, brother. The Bible said we shouldn't sow discord among ourselves. You watch how fast they back up. Whoa, 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 that wasn't what I really meant. The Bible says that we are to guard our hearts 
for out of it flow the issues of life. I can't afford to let that kind of stuff take root in my spirit if I'm going to please God. Amen. Let's stand all over this house. I wonder if we could take just a moment tonight and everybody in this house just make our way down to this altar tonight with our hands lifted. I know this was a Bible study tonight, but, but I feel like God just wants us to re, recommit ourselves tonight, wants us to, to stand beneath the fountain of his cleansing blood. Maybe we've had some struggles in our life. Maybe maybe we're mature enough tonight to say, you know what, uh, I've had some things I've been, been working through and some issues uh, I've been dealing with with people, but tonight God's talking to me. And this is a good opportunity uh, for me to let my heart be cleansed and let my mind be cleansed and let my spirit be right. Come on, would you stand all over this house? Would you come? Come on, all over this house. Would you come to the altar with your hands lifted? Come on, don't discord in this altar call right now. Uh, come and harmonize with everybody. Come on, come to this altar with your hands lifted tonight. Come on, while you come to this altar, would you lift your hands? Uh, and let's just begin to pray that God would help us. Help us search our hearts, God. Help us. Help us to be honest, God. Help us to not deceive our own selves. Help us not to look in the mirror and forget uh, what manner of man that we are, God. But help us. Come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on. A part of God's body, it is His will that every need be supplied. You are. 